Well, welcome and good evening, and of course, Merry Christmas. So blessed to, ha- to have you guys here. For uh, some of you, your, your new faces. For some of you, your old faces. For some of you, we see you every week. For some of you, we see you once in a while. But whatever the case may be, uh, we are so glad that you are here to join us tonight for our, uh, our annual uh, Christmas Eve candlelight service. This is something that I love doing every single year. Um, to get started with, um, we've been spending, we spent four weeks going through the biblical narrative doing a, a Christmas series leading up to tonight. And, uh, actually, I, I've learned some stuff because yesterday I, I got on Facebook, uh, two days ago I got on Facebook and, uh, there was this quiz on there and it was, you know, what do you know about Christmas? And I thought, you know, I've been, I've been preaching it. Of course I, I know it all. So I, I started going through these questions and I found a couple of, one of them, uh, especially, uh, kind of threw me for a loop. So I'm, I'm going to see how you guys do. Um, the first question that I, that I want to start with uh, with you guys is uh, when Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, how did they get there? A, they parachuted in. <laughs> B, Joseph walked and Mary rode a donkey. Uh, C, they took a chariot. Or D, we don't know. Everybody saying D? Oh, somebody, somebody said B? The right answer is D. The Bible actually doesn't tell us exactly how they got there, uh, just that they did get there. I, I would assume they did not parachute in, though. Anybody guess A? Nobody? Okay, good. That's good to know. Okay, number two, question number two. Who visited Jesus on the night of his birth? A, President Obama. You guys laugh? I'm just kidding. Uh, B, shepherds. C, wise men. Or D, both B and C. Some people said D. I hear a couple Bs. The correct answer is uh, is is B. Uh, the wise men did not show up until uh, what two years later? About two years later. Number three. What song did the angels sing when they uh, appeared before the shepherds? A. Jingle House Rock. That song was around then. You don't know it, but it was. B. Joy to the world, and we're not talking about the version by Three Dog Night. Or C, glory to God in the highest. Or D, none of the above. I hear C's and D's. This is actually the one that I got wrong. It's a trick question. Because I answered C. The correct answer is D. Uh, the Bible actually says in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, they were praising and saying uh, glory to God in the highest. So I, I got that one wrong. Uh, number four, which types of animals are known to have been present at Jesus' birth? A, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> B, cows, sheep, and, ca- uh, and uh, cows, sheep, and camels. Or C, horses, sheep, and donkeys. Or D, none of the above. That's another one of those trick questions. I was like, I don't know. I, I know it's not liger, lions and tigers and bears. The correct answer is D. The Bible doesn't tell us about any animals that were there. It just says that it happened in a manger. So we don't know. Okay, last one. Number five. In what books of the Bible can you find the Christmas story? A, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. B, Matthew and Luke. C, Mark and Matthew. Or D, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Read those again. A, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so all four. B, Matthew and Luke. C, Mark and Matthew. Or D, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
Okay, I heard a B back there. B is the correct answer. Uh, the, the correct answer is B. It was Matthew and Luke. Uh, Matthew gives us Joseph's perspective uh, leading up to, to the, the incarnation, to the first Christmas. And Luke gives us Mary's perspective. Now, there's a, there's a modern slogan that goes something like this. Uh, perspective is reality. Has any, everybody heard that one? Perspective is reality or something similar to that. Uh, now, that statement actually can't logically be fully true because if perspective is what determines what is true, uh, is that because it's just your perspective that perspective is what determines reality or is it because it's really true? In other words, if perspective is reality, then you could only think that perspective was reality if that was your perspective. Does that make sense? So it's actually a self-defeating statement uh, when it's taken to its, its fullest extent. But nevertheless, I think we can all agree that perspective does have a lot to do with what we at least believe to be true. Um, but let's not overlook the fact that perspective can change. A person's perspective absolutely can change. For example, um, a, a few years ago, I used to have a, convert- a cherry red convertible uh, Ford Mustang. Uh, now, most people would, would view that as a pretty cool car. Uh, and, and I used to, too. When I got it, I thought, wow, this, this is a score. You know, uh, cherry, cherry red uh, convertible. Man, I got it made. And, and then I got it. And my perspective changed. And then I realized, uh, man, that thing was a gas guzzler. Um, it didn't muffle the outside sounds very well. And if you try to put a 13 or 14-year-old boy with really long legs in the back seat, uh, yeah, he, he's got his ankles like right at his ears. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was really made for a guy maybe who was having a midlife crisis or something. Uh, and I'm admitting to, to what was going on when I got it. <laughs> but see, my perspective used to be that having a cherry red Ford Mustang convertible was, was just so cool until I got it, and then my perspective changed. Now, the truth is, I think we all can admit the fact that we have a very limited uh, perspective of a lot of things, which is why it's so important that we try to take the time to see things from God's perspective. See, while, while Matthew and Luke both introduce Jesus with the nativity story uh, being, you know, where he's born in a manger. Uh, that, by the way, is the human perspective. This was eyewitness testimony that, that they are uh, relaying. I love the way that John, the Apostle John, introduces Jesus. There's no manger. There, there are no shepherds, no, uh, no wise men, no, nothing. Even Mary and Joseph aren't in John's introduction of the story. John tells us what led up to the first Christmas from all of eternity, which is from God's perspective. And one of the most fascinating things that we need to understand about Christmas is that it eternally changed some things. In all of John's description leading up to Christmas, we gain a deeper, fuller, richer understanding of just how incredibly significant what an incredible sacrifice it was for God to come down and be like one of us. It's significant, not just for, for us who are here tonight, not just for everybody who, who goes to church or who, who even follows Jesus. It's significant for all of humanity, every person who walks the face of the earth, now or ever. What John gives us is the perspective from the earliest point in all of the Bible, actually. He backs up before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in fact. In other words, he takes us back even further than the beginning of the universe. He takes us back to all of eternity. 
And science tells us that there was once a time when nothing existed. And then all of a sudden, boom, everything is there. They, they, can, they can see this based on uh, light uh, and all this other stuff. I, I won't go into all of that. But science can tell us that once upon a time, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, there was everything. Now, if you've ever heard the, the term uh, time-space continuum, it basically means that where there is stuff, where there is material, where there is space, there's change. And if there is no material universe, there is no time. So for the first words of John's book, we're, we're given a perspective from beyond and before the time-space continuum even started because there is no matter. There is no space. There is nothing in all of eternity. And then we come to John chapter 1, verse 1, and we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He starts with the words, in the beginning. Now there is another uh, book that opens up with the same three words. Genesis starts with the same three words, but John is telling us that in the beginning, something was already in place. When the universe was spoken into existence, when it suddenly appeared, there were things that were already in place at the very beginning of the universe. What was already in place? The Word was already in place. And this is the term that John uses to refer exclusively to Jesus because Jesus is the full expression and the full communication of God. What he says is what God says. What he does is what God does. And so he tells us about God, both with his words and with his actions. And so the word was in place, but that's not all. Before the universe was created, in the beginning, the word was with God. John chapter 118 sheds some light on, on what we've seen so far, telling us that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In other words, here in verse 1, John is telling us that before the beginning of time, in all of eternity, the Word, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God, the Father, already had this intimate, personal relationship with one another. It's a timeless relationship. It started way before time even began, if you can, if you can even put those two uh, terms in the same sentence. It's an eternal relationship. And then John tells us, the Word was God. The Word was God. Not only was Jesus with God in all of eternity, but He was and He is fully God Himself. From before the foundation of the universe, from all of eternity, this is God. And we just sang a song called, What Child Is This? One of my favorites, but that's a really good question. What child is this? Well, John's told us who this child is. What's the big deal? The big deal is this child is the one who was before the beginning. Now, as we continue, we'll see why it matters who this child born on the first Christmas is. We'll see why it's important. John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We read this. He was in the beginning with God. Repetition. Just to make sure you got it, in case you missed it the first time, he was with God at the very beginning from the foundations of eternity. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything made, not anything was made that has been made. This word, who was God and who was with God in the beginning, 
is the one who created everything that has ever begun to exist. There is nothing in all of the universe's existence that has ever come into being that was not created by him. Everything that has a starting point to its existence was created by him. You know what that means? There's a good implication there, a really important implication. Jesus did not begin to exist. Because you can't cause yourself to come into existence. That's illogical. It's, it's, it's a contradiction. Jesus didn't begin to exist. It means that he is infinite and eternal in his existence. There was no beginning of his existence, contrary to what some of the cults out there will tell you. They'll say, oh, you know, he was, he was the first one made. No. If that means that he came into being at some time. But this is telling us that everything that has ever started to exist, he created. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read this. We read, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's from Colossians chapter 1.16. All things were created by him, for him, through him. Anybody in here begin to exist at some point? We all did. We all did. That means that we were all created for Him. We were created for the purpose of belonging to Jesus. And it's no coincidence that when God created the universe, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that it was His Word that caused everything to come into being. He spoke everything into existence. He did it with His Word. Word, the Word who is revealed as Jesus here in John chapter 1. He's the one who created it all. The prophet Isaiah told us that this promised one would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Adam was, was in the Garden of Eden, God walked with him. God was with him there in the Garden. But then Adam chose to sin, and God couldn't be with Adam anymore because God is holy and he can't overlook sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. So we have to understand that Emmanuel, God with us, it means that things have been restored back to the way that God created them, that Jesus created them in the beginning. It means that he's come to restore those who rightfully belong to him, but who could not walk with him and could not be in a relationship with him. Because of their sin. He has made everything that has a starting point in its existence. He has made everything. It was all created by him and for him. And he came to redeem it. Let's continue verses 4 and 5. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John's getting a little esoteric here. The whole thing is a little bit esoteric. Uh, What is he talking about? He's talking about the first Christmas. The light came into the darkness. The night when the Lord Jesus was born. The world was a dark, broken, sin-filled, evil, hopeless place that was full of fear. It was full of uncertainty. But when Jesus was born, when Jesus was born... God shone his light into the darkness of a broken, dark world, and it was not able to prevent him from fulfilling his mission. It was not able to stop him from what he came to do. 
He came to overcome and to conquer the pain, the sin, the death, the brokenness that we see all around us in the world. When we light our candles here in just a few minutes, that's what we're remembering. Remembering that Jesus' birth represents the light coming into the darkness. See, light and darkness cannot both simultaneously exist because darkness is, by its very definition, the absence of light. So where there is darkness, there can be no light. And where there is light, there can be no darkness. It's a black and white issue. There is no neutral ground. There is not a fence for you to sit on here. Either you're in the darkness or you're in the light. Without light, there could be no life. If there was no light... Think about this. In, in reality, if there was no light, how could we possibly exist? How could we, how could we know, you know where to find something to eat or drink? How would we know where to, where to find anything? If you've ever been in a cave where they, where they turn the lights out just to show you what complete darkness looks like, and you're sitting there waving your hand in front of your face and you can't see a thing? Wow. In, in John's narrative, darkness represents spiritual brokenness, emptiness, and lifelessness, spiritually not being able to see your hand in front of your face. And it's in the midst of the spiritual darkness, Christmas shines a light of hope to the brokenness, the fear, the death that would consume every single one of us if it were not for that light. Jesus is a light of new hope in a dark world in which we otherwise would have no hope and in which we otherwise would have no life. Christmas reminds us that Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world who stepped down into the darkness willfully out of love. If there was no Christmas, if God himself did not take on flesh and bring himself, bring light into the world, then any sense of joy or happiness or pleasure, that things like Christmas or any other day of the year, all those things, the best they could be is temporary. Seasonal. It would be a season, and then it would be gone. It would be here today, it would be gone tomorrow. And the brokenness in the world would be permanent. The evil in the world would be permanent. But because God came into the world as a baby boy on that first Christmas, the brokenness of the world is temporary. And the joy, the joy that the light brings into the world is forever. Because the love that he demonstrates and the love that he offers us through his son is forever. Now for the next few verses, John tells us about another guy named John, John uh, 2.0, John the Baptist. John was not the light, but but John the the apostle, the disciple John, um, tells us that he was sent to bear witness to the light, to tell people about the coming of the light of the world. He was sent to the world, uh, he was sent to tell the world that the promise of God was about to be fulfilled. The promise that God had made Adam and Eve back in the garden when they're getting kicked out and he says one day one day your seed will make this right your seed will get back at the serpent that led you away from me and yet when we get to verse 10 we read something that may surprise us let's read verses 10 to 13 he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him he came to his own 
And his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John's telling us that although Jesus, the light of the world, was rejected by his own, that is, he was rejected by Israel, They didn't bow before him. They didn't acknowledge him for who he is. And even though that that all happened and he was rejected, all who followed God's calling and believed in Jesus became adopted as God's children. So God is like this wealthy father who's eager to adopt any and every fatherless child who comes knocking at his door if they will just simply receive him as their adoptive father. How do we do that? By faith. By faith, by simply trusting in Jesus who was sent by God, by Himself, to redeem a people of God and by committing ourselves to living His ways, turning from our own ways. Now, some may protest and say, now, wait a minute. Aren't we all children of God? I mean, here it says that Jesus created every person, so technically, aren't we all children of God? Uh, well, yeah, I guess in, in that sense, we are all children of God as, as well. You know, we are, and everybody else who walks the face of the earth can be described as a child of God in the sense that, that Jesus uh, is responsible for their existence, uh, just like neither you nor I could exist without a biological father. Uh, none of us would exist if it were not for Jesus. That much is true. But Jesus is more than a creator. Jesus is more than a creator. He's more than the sustainer of all things. He is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. A term which, applies, which implies the necessity of our submitting our will to his will. Our ways lining up with his ways. That's what it means for him to be Lord. That's what it means. And so the real question that we're forced to ask ourselves is, what kind of child are we to him? Are we like the child who happily and and, and completely submits himself to the rules of the house that his father puts in place? Or are we like the child who runs away from home, defying and denying any sense of rightful authority that his father might have over his life? You see, everybody wants the benefits. Everybody wants the privileges of being a child of God. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But do you want God? That's the real question. The question is not, do you want to go to heaven? Everybody does. Everybody does. Do you want God? Do you want Jesus? Are you willing to accept the responsibilities that are necessary for receiving the benefits of being in Christ? Jesus said, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Matthew 7, 14. The vast majority of humanity treads totally oblivious to the fact that they are walking on the road that leads to destruction. The reality is that they are all like runaways who have convinced themselves that they are an authority unto themselves. Now, in the context of what John is saying here, God's true children follow him. They yield to him. They obey him. They come to the light, which is Jesus, which has come into the world, rather than turning away from it and rejecting it. 
Now, Jesus expanded on this, uh, this idea a little later in the book. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is totally confused about Jesus, about everything that Jesus has been teaching. And this is what Jesus says. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So whether you're talking about Israel when they rejected Jesus, or whether you're just talking about the average person today who rejects Jesus, ultimately ultimately it boils down to this. They love the darkness. They hate the light. But Christmas reminds us that God is a father to the fatherless. And it's proof that God so loved the world. Not just that God loved the world. That word so is really significant. Because it's like putting a magnifying glass in front of that word. He so loved the world. And Christmas proves it. Verse 14. John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John uses this verse to kind of summarize what he's already been telling us up to this point, that the same God who created the universe, the same God uh, who created all things, took on human flesh to become like one of us, to dwell among us, God with us. The relationship between God and humanity has been fully restored through what He came to offer. He didn't stay up in heaven and you know snap His fingers and you know make something happen to keep it easy for Himself. He didn't send somebody else to do the dirty and the difficult work of saving His people. He came that first Christmas as a demonstration of this incredible, incomprehensible love that He has for us to walk alongside us just like he did with Adam in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. This is our only true hope. This is our only salvation. There is no other place. There is no other person. There is no other way to find God's love. It is found and revealed in Christ Jesus fully in him. This is not some kind of, of distant God who, uh, who just does what He wants without being with His people, without bringing His people with them. This is not some kind of God who just keeps His distance from His people and remains cloaked in obscurity so that they are just left wondering about Him. This is not an impersonal God who can't relate to us because He's never been through our experiences. This is not a God who created us and then just forgot all about us or who gave up on humanity when we sinned. This is a God who loved us so much that He Himself came in order to save us from the darkness by himself being the light that came into the world. He came to accomplish redemption. He came to accomplish salvation for us once and for all by being one of us and ultimately by dying in our place. Christmas shows us the depths, the incredible depths 
of God's love for us. It is unparalleled in human history. Jesus came to offer us hope, direction, and adoption into the arms of a loving Father. The love of God, as revealed in the first Christmas, is not one of those things that we can just hope for, but think, you know, it's, it's probably just too good to be true. It's probably too, the, the, the idea that God would, would love me is probably too good to be true. No, no, my friend, it is not too good to be true. He proved it by becoming like one of us. He did anything and everything that he possibly could to save his people, and he accomplished it. Friend, do you hear Jesus calling you this Christmas? The infant in that manger is the infinite God. This Christ is the one who created all things by, through, and for himself. And he is the Lord of life. Don't be distracted by all this other stuff that we love about Christmas. You know, everybody knows that life gets chaotic and kind of crazy this time of year. Don't get distracted by it. Look to the light of the world who came as a gift of love to us. Don't ignore or reject him. There is no neutral ground when it comes to light and darkness. You cannot sit on the fence. If you find yourself in darkness... Jesus is the one who offers you your only true lasting hope. He came to restore the broken relationship between God and humanity. He is God with us, just like he was in the beginning. Our part in restoring the broken relationship is to believe in him. Believe that what he did was enough. Trust in him. Yield our lives in obedience to him. God has no natural born children among us. At some point, we must consciously, deliberately, intentionally believe and receive Jesus as both Lord and Savior, as our master and as the one who's going to save us because we can't save ourselves. In order to fully understand the reason for Christmas, we must respond to the reality of Jesus Christ as the light of the world shining into the darkness and be born again. Because the real Christmas quiz isn't about what you know. It's about who you know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we remember you tonight, who you are and what you did, that from all of eternity you had a plan Lord, to redeem your people by becoming like one of your people, fully God and fully man. Lord, my prayer tonight is just that as we, as we hear the story again and, and maybe see it a little bit more clearly from your perspective, Lord, that our lives would be just a little bit more submitted to you than they were before we came here tonight. For those who, who know you, Lord, may we know you better because of what your word reveals. And Lord, if any here do not know you, my prayer is that your word would do its work, that it would move hearts, that it would teach us who you are. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas. Thank you that it proves that you so love us. It's in your name. 
This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.